in so many bits. I am your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from this undisclosed office location in downtown Chicago is Shelby Mongan. Shelby, how are you? I mean, I'm good. It's I'm tired, but I think that's just a state of being. It's become an identifier for my like personhood rather than a temporary state. So given that, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, so, like, if you were, you know, there's, like, Solid Snake and Punished Snake, you'd be, like, Tired Mongoose, maybe? Because got Mongon, Mongoose. Yeah, there you go. Well, Sloth is more typically the animal applied to me. Um, sleepy and Slap Happy Mongoose is still pretty good, though. Slap Happy Sloth. Slap Happy Sloth. <laughs> That's a quick reminder. So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. Now, Shelby, uh, since you've been on, we have introduced a somewhat now new feature to the show. We are going to be performing screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Where we're going to take a look at an episode of a television series that features video games in some way and talk about it a little bit and rate it because everything has to be judged in 2018. Bringing down the hammer on the quality. And for this quality, I present to you Steven Universe. We are the crystal gems. We'll always save the day. And if you think we can, we'll... Episode 11, Season 1, Arcade Mania. We were actually watching a show I've seen before. We watched Seinfeld last time, and I was very lost. I have definitely been all up in Steven Universe previously. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, I also am a big Steven Universe fan. I have watched a lot of it. And it's something we, we chatted over a bit and bonded on, I think. I'm pretty sure I introduced you to the show. It is a show that I am insanely passionate about, given the... It's doing so many things that other shows aren't doing on television right now, um, not just as a cartoon, but in general. And, and it's lovely, it's full of heart, it's funny, it is poignant, and references are great. It's just, it's, ugh, I just can't say enough good things. I love the show. It's really great. I wish they would make more episodes of it. They put out like 20 <laughs> all of last year, which... Yeah. Uh, 20 11-minute episodes, too. There's the, the problem. Yeah. I wouldn't mind 20 if it was a half-hour show. Right. Uh, but this one was from very early on in the run. Uh, there was still a lot that eventually we would find out later about like the plot and the characters. But at this point, you got Steven. He's a kid. His uh, guardians are three uh, female-coded aliens called the Crystal Gems. Uh, they're Garnet, Amethyst, and Pearl. And Steven! And Steven! And uh, Garnet... Or sorry, Stephen takes them all to the arcade, and hilarity ensues. Yeah, though less hilarity than I remember in this episode. So I rewatched it today, and this is a definite hardcore bottle episode. So it draws on premises and character things that we've seen before. So this act of the gems having to take care of errant gems that are wreaking havoc, and the weird personality quirks of all of the gems and Steven's eternal efforts to make everyone happy. Um, but like, uh, yeah, it was, it was such a, it, it was not as funny as I remember. It, the, it was, a, it was definitely different going back to the first season. There definitely was a lot more humor of they're aliens. They don't know anything about human culture, which kind of yeah. got washed away after a while. I will say that there are a few things that I love more than that shot of Amethyst shoving. She it, So Steven tries to teach her how to play skee-ball, and she just sits on the top of the skee-ball machine and shoves the balls all directly into the highest number of points <laughs> so that she can just get all the tickets and exclaims how much she loves skee-ball. Um, and Amethyst is so perfect because she is just like a five-year-old with superpowers, and I love her for that reason. So, like, she is queen of physical comedy and dumb jokes, which is beautiful. And Pearl's whole thing with the driving game is also beautiful. And I, I also like, yeah, Gar Garnet is trying, they're trying to find a game for Garnet, and she, like, punches the arcade <laughs> machine, and then the very soft, satisfied, 
I win. <laughs> Garnet is a, Garnet is truly remarkable as far as the characters are concerned. Not just because her construction is is interesting. Um, the 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 lore behind Garnet is so good. The lore behind her is so good, but she interacts so interestingly in the world because she is so severe and emotionless until she isn't, and then she is so deeply full of heart and emotional. Um, but watching her in an arcade just like unclear as to how to seem like have fun garnet has a lot of trouble having fun i think in the first season and it comes up a lot um but she does land on something that she likes yeah yeah playing neat beat mania Ugh, which i wish was real i really i I wish so as well yeah it's like you know a ddr kind of thing where it's like a rhythm game where you have to shake the meat to the beat yeah it's i feel like i've seen similar games where you at least like ddr but with your arms I've seen before, and I think I've seen Maraca-type games, but it is just adorable, and there's something that seems really fun about shaking ham on bone as the maracas to the beat of a song. And it just becomes a problem where she can't stop playing, and then there's a a rogue monster out there terrorizing the, the beach and the pier? Not the pier. The Yeah, the pier. The, the the boardwalk the boardwalk that's the word yeah. that's the word the the beach and the boardwalk and Stephen has to kind of snap her out of her uh, trance to get her to go fight the monster well and she's in a trance because she is the single greatest player of Meat Beat Mania ever to exist like doing according to Stephen things he's never seen done before and and at um, beyond S tier of um, of Meat Beat Mania um, she was quite addicted. To it which so i will say so the episode ends because steven shakes her out of it by yeah. breaking the machine and then has to clean up he gets blamed for everything and gets has to clean up in true steven fashion but i ended the episode feeling weirdly lacking in um normally the show's really good about having like a moral reason or like some sort of emotional revelation or something when they when at the end of a story and this one, I was just like, I mean, I I get it. I've gotten addicted to a game, and then someone chucked me out of it, and then I moved on. Like, at the end, I was like, I don't quite understand what the point is, aside from aliens are weird and they don't understand things. It was, it was a strange ending spot. Like, it felt like they either needed two minutes more or 30 seconds less. 100%. Like, the I, Steven tried to break the game previously by unplugging it, and Garnet just used her magic powers to turn it back on with electricity. And he, he, she declares at the end that he won, because he tried to, he also sweetly, in tr- again, true Stephen fashion, thought that the only way to, <laughs> to get her to stop was to beat her at the game, which was dumb, because he's tiny and uncoordinated, and she is a literal superpowered alien. But he just ends up breaking the game completely, and she declares that he won. And I was like, I don't, is there a moral? Was there, was, is this trying to teach me something? Did he just win? I don't understand. And we don't even see, I mean, it's presumed they defeat the monster and save the people, but they're still doing it while the episode is ending and he is cleaning up the arcade. Right, He's he is sweeping because Garnet broke a lot of things in the process of finding a game that she liked. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I just, it, I, I wish that it you know what it was? This is the difference between season one of Steven Universe and season, like, three or four. The way that that episode would have ended at, later on in the show run would have been Steven, like, attempting to beat Garnet, losing, and then getting upset because bad things were happening and he needed Garnet's help. And Garnet would have, like, shaken out of her trance because Steven's sincerity and kindness, like, awokened her. And that would have been this, like, this is just how you have to approach Like, sometimes we need help. We need to be woken up. Whatever. What happened was he threw a piece of the <laughs> video game through the video game cabinet. And it was, yeah, it was really it was really funny and really jarring to me because I've come to expect a certain thing from the show after having watched so many seasons of it. And season one is not quite at that place yet. No, no. They, they definitely kind of let their flag fly later on once the... Like, the mystery is unspooled a bit once yeah. you know more about the characters' backstories. Here, it's all kind of held tight to the chest. You, yeah. Like, they even, they're, like, being coy about, like, well, Garnet's the best. And, like, 
well, you know, we're all team. No, no, Garnet's the our boss. But right. Well, why is Garnet the boss? Because well, she's the strongest. But oh. why is she the strongest? Like, why do we listen to her? Especially with the dynamic with her and Pearl. Right, they're definitely still exploring all of that initial foundation piece. Like, there are even spots. Like, they kind of <clears throat> mention, like, that she has that precognitive ability. But, like, you can even see spots in the episode where she's, like, adjusting her shades and stuff where it's presumably she is, like, doing something. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if it was also early enough in the run that they were still kind of trying to be a kid's show and weren't in a place to disrupt some of the the stereotypes and the expected trajectory and the expected narratives that stories like that normally tell, which is exactly what they're really, really good at doing. I wonder if it was still early enough that they didn't feel like they have the space to do it quite yet. Well, uh, let's put it to the test here. We got three categories we're going to rate this episode on. So there, the, they will be in order. Authenticity, condescension, and entertainment. Uh, so these will all be rated on a scale of 6 to 10, like all good video games are. Uh, authenticity. Do you think this was authentic to actual gameplay? Uh, 6 being not at all, 10 being extremely. I'm going to give this one a pretty high rating, and I think because of the two polar opposites that they showed in the episode, which was Pearl, who was upset in the uh, burnout-esque game, that she wasn't winning because she was following all the traffic laws and hadn't gotten any accidents, which is exactly like if you put, like, your old aunt in front of a video <laughs> game, what would happen? And I found that incredibly charming. Um, and then Garnet, like, getting so obsessively sucked into a game and, like, the, the irrational desire to master and never stop playing it. So I'm actually going to give it... I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it a nine... I'm pretty. I'm pretty content with it. I, I would go even higher. I, I would give it a ten. I, I feel like the way Stephen rattles off like how the fighting game works is very true to life. Mm-hmm. And and then the Mii Mania. It reminds me a lot of Samba de Amigo, which is this yes. maraca simulator game you could play on. Like I think they had it for the Wii, and then also like it was on some older system or something. Uh, but that was like ah oh, yes, that is exactly what I remember. Yeah, you swayed me. I'm gonna swip, I'm gonna bump it up to a ten. Yes. You won this one, Bill. <laughs> then the next category is condescension. Uh, so if you, uh, a six would be you don't think it was very condescending towards video games, uh, or like looks down on the on the medium, and then ten would be a very condescending. So I am gonna rate it maybe a little higher because I think had we gotten an explanation as to why Garnet got super addicted to playing Meat Beat Media and if she was just like I really like finding perfection or it's fun or I like blowing off steam or some sort of reason as to why this game was attractive to her it wouldn't have felt condescending instead it was just like she is just addicted to at fit like there was no there's no meat to it that gave it any um that that gave it any purpose however steven loves the arcade and i think there's an appreciation and given what i also know about creators and stuff too there's an appreciation for the video game world involved i'm gonna give it a seven just on the fact that we missed some interesting justification that would have made it i think a little bit more empathetic and kinder to the experience i would go with an Eight. I, I mean, uh, Pearl does literally say <laughs> humans find many ways to uh, waste work. their time. I yeah. think. Yeah. Over there. And uh, so there's that, and then uh, Garnet getting like immediately addicted, and then like not really paying that off in any meaningful way. Just kind of like, oh, that's over. Let's move on. Uh, but still, like the the games themselves were really impressively laid out, and uh, like. This isn't really about this episode in particular, but just Steven Universe in general. All the chiptune uh, environmental sound that they have in, in there is so impressive and very much is meant to resemble like a video game, I think. I I feel like I should even give it like a .01 extra like bonus in this category because the Steven Universe games are so good, too. The mobile game that they have, and they had one, I think it's the same game that pushed out on console, was a... Um, a 
Final Fantasy-esque RPG um, that was super amusing and simple but really fun. It comes, I know that the show, maybe I'm giving it extra credit because I know the show comes from a place of love for video games. Um, I think the creators of the show are more Steven than they are Pearl. Um, but that having been said, didn't necessarily execute that love quite as well in this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, and then lastly, entertainment. Uh, six, not entertaining at all. Ten, extremely entertaining. So, Onion was briefly in it, which always gives me a bonus because Onion is the weird one of the weirdest characters in the show, and therefore one of my favorites. Um, he is a strange, strange little boy. I enjoyed it. It was by no means one of my favorite episodes of Steven Universe, but. Any episode of Steven Universe is better than almost any other television show as far as I'm concerned. I'll give it a nine. It, it really missed the boat for me at the end, but again, still, like, I love existing in Beach City. I love the world. I love the art. The jokes are funny. Every character is charming in their own weird, quirky way. Um, and the fight, scene, I, the fight scenes are good, even in the first season. I forgot how fun them fighting the, um, the corrupted gems are. So... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a solid nine. I'm gonna go with an eight. I'm gonna give one point for the uh, background music for Meets Beat Mania. So good. And one point for Amethyst saying I swallowed a rock. <laughs> Amethyst is just, I mean, actually remarkably sad as you get further into the show, but really, really so funny. Also, her requesting that's that Steven shove his face into his bowl of cereal because Florida <laughs> had asked for the help is very, very good as well. Um, Amethyst is just the best and the worst. If this know. were a wrestling podcast, I, I would definitely feature Tiger Millionaire somehow. Yes. Yes. That is a very... Oh, man. I need to go back and rewatch this whole show. Well, for today, we were able to rewatch <laughs> one episode, so I hope that can uh, tide you over for the time being. Fine. And we will cl- bring to a close this screen-watching segment and move on to our Hey, Shelby, what have you been playing segment. Just narrowly avoiding a very specific IP reference. Um, <laughs> what have I been playing? So, um, as I have mentioned on the podcast before, I'm incredibly boring and play the same stuff over and over and over again. Um, but... Aside from my truly unnecessary Overwatch tendencies, I have played two things that are one that's brand new and one that is new to me, which has been very exciting. The first of which is um, was amazing news uh, that they ported three full games of Phoenix or uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney over to iOS to mobile, and it plays beautifully. It works great. It is the the touch screen is a great way to navigate the um, to navigate the screens. It is truly absurd and over the top and silly and weird, but the puzzle solving is really fun. I enjoy games like that a lot, and I've always wanted to play it, but I never had a, a um, handheld to play it on. So having the opportunity to just have it on my phone, I've been doing it on commutes. Like if I'm on a podcast or I'm not in a podcast mood. I can sit down and play through most of an episode on a full commute. I can get through an entire one if I play in the morning and then on my way home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's great. It's really great to play this gem that I'm, I missed. I know references to it. It's been part of the video game culture milieu that I'm in, but I never actually played it. So it's really, really fun to go through the, the game and actually give it a shot. Um, I know you said you're a fan of it as well. Yes, I'm, I'm ecstatic that you're trying these games out. I've played all but... Well, I've missed, like, three of the Phoenix Wright games, some because they're not available in English. Well. But I've missed all, I've played all but one English game. So it might be, well, I I think with puzzle games, though, it's hard. It's not as easy to go back and revisit them. But depending on how much time it's been, it's worth doing. And you can play the first two um, episodes of the first game for free without having to pay for anything. So that's, it's nice to see, like, how it feels. Um, I'm looking at. So the original game and then Justice for All and Trials and Tribulations are all on. Um, at least iOS. I don't know if it's on Android or not. Um, but that's been so that's been a really fun kind of accessory side thing. 
really pleasant to, especially with the weather that's been nice. I've just been sitting on my porch and playing video games instead of sitting inside. <laughs> that's been a fun one to play. Um, the other thing that I played that I did not expect to like as much as I did um, is they released the demo for Detroit Become Human on PS4, um, a game which is not a stranger to a lot of controversies and a lot of problematic backgrounds. I'm not going to touch on that because, A, the full game is out, so it's sort of hard to speak to it. Um, the full game is, is not out, right? The, this is just a demo, so it's about a 20-minute demo. But, and, and I'm, I'm intrigued in theory. I mean, it really, it's, it's, I think it's just going to end up being narratively a slightly poorer, poorer execution of Blade Runner. But... <laughs> The, the key to this, the thing that I loved, and the reason why I played, my fiancé and I sat down and played a 20-minute demo six times through and had to stop ourselves from continuing to play it over and over and over again is because it takes this game trope that we're all used to of a game where you go around, you make decisions in the narrative, you choose to talk to people or don't, and you pick up the gun or you don't, and then you get to a special ending that depends on all the choices that you made. It's wrote at this point, it's the telltale format. We've seen it. It's the same way that like all Bioware RPGs work. Like it's a, it's a rote concept. The difference in this game is that you get the tree of decisions, which you can view at any time in the save or in the uh, pause menu. And then you see at the end. So you can see precisely where if I had done X, then that means why happened. But there was another choice that I didn't make in there. I went too slow over the course of the entire demo, and so I missed out on X, Y, and Z opportunity. And it's going to be even further down the road, so it'll be episodic, I think, when the game actually comes out. And it's going to be the sort of thing where if I make X decision in the first episode, in episode four, I can't make Y decision. Um, really, really interesting, but the fact that they're laying bare all of the structure and and the branching mechanics i wasn't sure how it was going to work but it made me just want to see how many endings i could get and see how much experimentation i could do we actually couldn't organically get all of the endings which is funny because i can see the chart like i can see generally speaking where we branched off and where we missed and it was still there was still enough challenge to it that i couldn't figure out what i had to do differently i just knew i had to do something um, so we ended up watching a bunch of them, but I'm curious how it'll play. I'm curious, especially long-term in this game, because it was so short. The demo was only about 20 minutes, I think, to play through at longest, if you really pushed it all the way through. Um, it was really easy to go back and play over and over again and try to get other endings. I don't know how that will work if you play the entire game and how long, like how much core gameplay there is. Um, I'm not one for a lot of replaying video games, so we'll see. But, but I think having the option to see the choices that you make and see how they fit in this large web of a narrative, um, it's an interesting kind of meta mechanic, and I found it really interesting and helpful. So, so we'll see. I don't even know if I'm going to buy the game. We probably will because the mechanics are so fascinating. Um, but also there's a lot of drama and poor work conditions and bad people involved, so we might not pay with our money. We'll find out. But the demo yeah. was really fun. Like, I, I won't hold it against people who do want to uh, explore that game. I, I'm sure there is media that I enjoy that has problematic undertones or problematic creators that I may or may not be aware of. Uh, for me, it was... Like, I was already on the fence or probably not going to buy that game in the first place, so now it's just like, well, forget it. I right. don't even want to deal with it. Uh, I mean, I did the same thing with the new South Park game, uh, the same thing with this other game, Kingdom Come Deliverance. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it sounds pretty interesting. It is nice uh, narratively to see like how that stuff all plays out. You maybe even want to check out Beyond Two Souls, which is the previous game by this person mm -hmm. uh, that is also out on PS4 yeah and features uh, Ellen Page and Hugo uh, not Hugo Weaving yes Hugo yeah, Weaving Hugo Weaving yep yeah no William Defoe. William Defoe, not Hugo Weaving one of those bug-eyed character actor <laughs> men dudes exactly yeah it's it's really unfortunate because all, the narrative is also a little uncomfortable because there's a little bit of like equivalency between um robots and 
racial minorities, which is kind of uncomfortable. Um, and again, I've heard bad things about the working condition. It just is really, this is such a weird, and, and this is a very 2018 gripe, I think, to have, which is to say, I love, I'm so fascinated by the mechanic, and I really want to consume this and, and understand it, and like, this is a piece of media that I want to interact with. Is it something that I'm willing to put money towards because of all of the junk surrounding it? Especially when it's something like a PS4 exclusive title, which means that it's not like I can procure it in any less than legal ways, which would somewhat assuage my guilt. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to definitely contemplate whether I'm going to pay for it long term. But man, the demo was so interesting. It's a really, really cool way to play. Well, yeah, uh, get back to me. Let me know uh, where you end up landing on that, and if you do end up playing it, how it works out. Mm -hmm. Please. What are you playing? Uh, well, recently I sunk a lot of time into The Evil Within 2. Nice. That game is available. I played it on the PS4, but it is also available for Xbox One and PC. Uh, if you want to know what kind of game it is, uh, I, I imagine that when they were making The Evil Within 2, there was like a whiteboard. And had Resident Evil 4 written on it, and then like someone underlined it three times, and then someone drew a circle around that. <laughs> uh, so if you have not played Resident Evil 4, it, it is a uh, Evil Within 2 is a suspense slash horror game where you are exploring the uh, surreal town of Union, and you are approaching it from behind the back of this character, Sebastian Castellanos. He was the main character of the first game. Uh, some bad stuff happened to him, but he got through it. And now he's being launched back into more bad stuff. And you, you know, you go around, you find zombies. Basically zombies. It's a zombie game, yeah. Yeah. And then other bizarre horrors. Some, like, creatively uh, terrifying and, like, very uh, well-designed. Uh, you have access to firearms. You got, like, pistols and shotguns and all that stuff. Uh, but you do also have a lot of opportunities to be stealthy. Uh, so you can uh, kind of sneak around, you can do stealth attacks on certain enemies and like do like one-hit kills where you like knife them in the back. <laughs> and there actually are some enemies that are more powerful that you can take them on and fight them, or you can just avoid them. I, I was looking through the trophies on PS4, and there's one boss that I fought who uh, gave me a real hard time, and then later on I looked and it's like, oh, you can actually just escape and evade that altogether. You didn't have to fight. That's hilarious. So if it is this, if it is obviously a, a direct homage slash non-licensed remake of Resident Evil 4, have you played Resident Evil 4? I have, yes. Do you think it is worth playing through the, is it a better version of Resident Evil 4? Is it just an updated version like i because i've watched some gameplay of it and i know if i remember correctly resident evil 4 is rated er, people generally consider it one of the better resident evil games yes generally yeah. the best one if i remember correctly i think it's very fondly remembered and yeah. like one of the best games of that era i'm think i think of it as this in the same way that i think of the prestige that something like spoiler for later final fantasy 7 has mm -hmm. where it is even if it is regarded as one of the best pieces of the franchise. Well, I think The Evil Within 2, I mean, is obviously a more recent update to the formula, but it does miss a couple things that I found uh, difficult to go without. And, and maybe that was partly because of the way I was playing the game, but uh, in Resident Evil 4, a lot of like the fights, a lot of the tension is built around the fact that there are like three or four enemies coming at you at once, and the controls are somewhat deliberately clumsy you're trying to mm. like move around with one stick and then look around with the other and you can't move freely in three dimensions you can like back oh. up or move forward or turn and then move in a direction it's like old joystick controls almost. exactly huh yeah. that's interesting that's an interesting way to use the mechanics to force you to for force tension that wouldn't have normally been there if you could have a little bit more free movement but does it do you think it makes it worse or better worse because in resident evil 4 they had a couple uh tricks and uh, tools that the player could use to maybe uh kind of 
even up the flight. Uh, so there were a lot of times where you could like go up a ladder and get on an elevated uh, area and like shoot down at them, and they could climb up the ladder and they could still like you know they would sometimes have crossbows or like throw things at you, and so there was still some give and take, but you got an advantage that way. Or the one that I would use a lot is uh, you could shoot in Resident Evil 4. You could shoot the enemies in the leg, and that would cause them to be stunned. Mm -hmm. And then while they were stunned, you could do like a, a quick time event to give them the big kick or give them the big throw. And that would like clear out a bunch of enemies and give you invincibility frames while you were doing mm -hmm. that. So that made it feel like more of a fair fight. Even if you couldn't really control yourself well during those moments, you could still kind of like get surrounded by three guys but like shoot one in the knee and then like run up and kick them and that would knock the other two back and then you could try and do it again on the other two while you got that extra little breathing room mm -hmm. more strategic way of approaching things and also i mean in games like this i don't know how much this is true for these games but resource management is normally a concern sound management is normally a concern as well so having options that still feel scary but empower you to actually succeed is is a big it's a big trick of the game developers where you still feel cool like you still feel like you're you're killing zombies and kicking butt and be in the midst of being surrounded but you don't it's not the same you're not getting handicapped with the mechanics as much right it felt like the rules were fair on both sides of the equation and then in though in the evil within two it just doesn't feel like Maybe I missed it, but I couldn't find that same, like, give and take to the combat. Uh, mm. There was an ability, like, you could unlock later in the game where you could, like, once an enemy was stunned, you could run up and kick them. But that wasn't always easy to trigger that event when I had it. Mm -hmm. And then I also, I bought an ability. There's, like, a, a level-up system and perks you buy for defeating enemies. Sure. Where... Uh, you can hide behind a corner, and as the enemy is coming towards you from, like, down a hallway, mm -hmm. you can jump around the corner and do a quick ambush on them and take them out as, like, a one-hit kill. Speaking of snake, yeah. Except it was pretty fussy. Like, they had to be walking pretty closely towards the wall that you were up against. Right. And if they were walking too far out wide from the wall, they would just, like kind of around the corner and look at you, you're like, uh? <laughs> I guess I'm going to do a murder on you now. Yeah, I hate that. Like, so, as you level up, you want to get more tools in your tool belt that you can use to, like, especially in a game like that, strategically plan and take things out in a way that's going to keep you the most safe possible. But part of the way that that has to work, your tools have to function. Like, if you have a drill that won't turn on, it's not a very good drill. So if you have a, this interesting method that you can use creatively to try to swing the numbers in your favor and swing the odds in your favor and then it doesn't work like cool sweet game i love it it did feel pretty unfair at times and maybe pretty frustrated a couple of times i could have bumped the difficulty from like normal down to easy i chose not to do that uh and i did, I did beat the game so just to be clear I, I did play this game for like 20 hours and i i finished the whole story so i didn't hate it how was the story story is weird and confusing and yeah, that's actually everything I've heard about the game. Yeah, that, that checks out. Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, Sebastian is there to rescue his daughter. Uh, Who's like a phantom ghost situation, but in audio form? I've watched very minimal Let's Plays of this game. Like, she's around, but also maybe a ghost. Like, so their union is a mind world, and Sebastian entered the mind world, and because they're using, like, his daughter's brain basically as the uh the battery and like the like the i guess the ram for the world like she is okay. keeping it going seems mean but okay very mean and and, and so he's g getting in there to try and like rescue her see that actually that context does make some sense but yeah i've heard that it's mostly convoluted and strange not like a bad game, just mostly convoluted and strange. Yeah, yeah. It was good enough to keep me moving towards the sure. next thing and give me an objective, but not good enough that, like, I really cared fully what happened to all these characters. Right. Well, okay, so no regrets playing it technically, though, at that point? Like, it was worth your time? Was it worth the 20 hours? I like playing Resident Evil 4-style games, even if they're imperfect, and I did enjoy exploring the world of Union itself, Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I did 
I do not regret playing it. Was it scary? Sometimes, yes. I'm not playing it. Well, okay, then. <laughs> there's not too much of, like, a, like jump scaring. Yeah. But there are, there's a lot of suspense, and some of the monsters are really creepy. See, creepy I can dig. Jump scares are not, are not my favorite, which means that video game horror is my least favorite. Because at least with a, there's a bit of detachment when you're watching something, but when you're the character and then something jumps, nah, nah, nah. I'm going a, I'm to a play Ace Attorney. <laughs> it's much less scary. You'll love the one monster that shows up, and then if they get close enough to you, they're, uh, they're always doing this like sing-song gibberish, mm-hmm. but if they get close enough, they'll start playing it through the speakers in the controller. Good. And that's the first time that happened. I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Yeah, that actually, Detroit Becoming Human did something small with the um, the audio through the controller. There's a way to re- reconstruct pieces of a crime scene, and they played some audio through that. Vastly underused thing. Like, playing the way that you can shift the audio there into the controller and do something atmospheric it's so cool, and they definitely, I think they use it when you picked up and listened to or watched a video on an iPad, so the sound, instead of coming out of the TV, came out of your controller, and it felt like you were listening to something in the context of the game, and that was, I don't, it's a hokey thing, but I feel like it is not well used enough. Mm. And in horror games, like, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, lots of cool stuff, I think, in the DualShock 4 that doesn't get fully utilized most of the time. Yeah. They had the touchpad thing. The game used yeah. the touchpad thing, too, which I forget is a touchpad. <laughs> yep, yep, it does that, too. I don't know. Leave the fun to Nintendo, I guess, for the interesting controllers. Yeah, I guess so. <sighs> Speaking of which, you know you're going to have to have me back on this podcast when we finally buy Labo, because <gasps> our household is oh. definitely going to buy Labo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just can't even. <laughs> I'm so excited. I've heard that you should get the variety kit, Mm -hmm. not the robot kit, because the robot kit ends up being, like, a little bit thin. Yeah, it's hard, I think, when you have to do one massive build, that it's it's a cool idea in theory, but I think the the novelty of the variety of the, of the variety pack is helpful. I don't, I have heard that all of the games within the variety pack are on their own kind of thin, but... It doesn't matter because you have a bunch of them. Um, I think also watching the potential. I'm so excited to watch the maker community as this spreads and once the um, their maker program for Labo, I think, is officially... I don't think it's officially launched yet. I don't remember. Um, but basically the means with which you can create your own things. Um, so I watched someone created a guitar um, on Labo. So they set up the Joy-Cons to basically be like frets and then programmed so that when you do X, Y, and Z, it makes different chords so you could like essentially strum it and play the guitar. That's awesome. Um, and then they made out of cardboard just like a janky guitar that they taped the, the Switch to. So seeing, seeing I, I think about everything that people have done with things like Mario Maker and what happened even when Little Big Planet opened up their level creation and, and, the, and Minecraft and the things that people do when you give them the space to work, I'm so excited to see what people create with Labo long term. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had my hands actually on the the game and the kits themselves, so it's sort of hard to talk. Well, you'll just have to have me back on. Unfortunately for you, I'm going to have to come back. Okay, twist my arm a little bit. Uh, for the time being, though, uh, that has been what I've been playing, and we have already heard what you've been playing. Uh, before we move on to our new segment, though, I do need something from you, Shelby. Oh, no. Uh, so... Oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> you really... You sold that really well. Thank you, thank you. I'm just going to look at Gary's Twitter while you do this. But you're going to time me, right? I mean, I'll put a timer on. Okay, that's good. So, if you're unclear what's happening right now, uh, we're about to enter Bill's Magic Minute, where I really enjoy the game Magic the Gathering, but to refrain from spending the entire podcast talking about it. I limit myself to one minute of unfettered, unfiltered, uncensored access to what's been going on in Magic lately. And when you are ready, Shelby, I am ready to go. All right. Three, two, one. Tap that. I finished with my two teammates. 65th out of 
43 teams at Grand Prix Columbus recently. We've had a 5-3 and three record on day one, which unfortunately was just short of the threshold for continuing. I played a black-white historic deck with a bunch of legends, and the most powerful cards I was able to play were Blackblade Reforged and Jasu Vest Lich Knight, which were both excellent, and I would highly recommend drafting them if you get the opportunity. Uh, we were in pretty good shape going into round seven. We were at a 5-1 and one record, unfortunately, uh, seven and eight, we both uh, lost those. And the team element kind of helped there because, you know, when you're winning, you get to share in the success. And when you're losing, you get to share in the, the defeat. We were kind of down after the last round, but, uh, you know, we got out of there. We joked around a little bit about the day, had some dinner, and felt pretty all right after that. Untap that! That's See, I know something about magic. I made it. I, I flavor texted it for you. That was good. I, I, I like how you flavor texted that. Thank you. I'm very talented. Well, congratulations. That is a good finish. I think. I think so. I mean, that's in the top like 80th percentile, pretty much, of all teams. Sure. You're not as good as that adorable little girl, the little blonde girl. But like, you're still pretty good. How could I ever be? She's very excellent. Um, there were other cosplaying little girls at this uh, tournament. That makes me so... I don't even care about magic that much, but that makes me very happy. It's it's good. It's good stuff. So cute. Also, going on... Oh, no, we're not going to talk about it. Magic Minute's over. Gotta go. Gotta move on. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's only fair because you have expressed an interest and uh, you have some things to say... I would like to <laughs> offer you the opportunity for an Overwatch minute. Okay. If you are so inclined. Um, yeah, I think I can. Uh, I think I can do that. I will. I will talk about my current favorite topic. All right. Ready? Yes. Go. So the Overwatch League is out. We've talked about it on the podcast before, and there's a lot of interesting, fun, like side canony conversation thing, which actually just serves to make. Overwatch League, not just an esports thing, but something that you can kind of get attached to and char characters and people that you become invested in. Um, the Twitter pro presence of all of them is very excellent, um, but the greatest joy I've had lately is the budding, awkward, beautiful, pure friendship between uh, Tank for Shanghai Dragons, Giguri, also um, a beautiful, strange little girl. <laughs> she's not a little girl, she's an adult, but... Um, who is the first female to ever play in the Overwatch League, um, and then Muma, who is a tank for Houston Outlaws, who is also a strange, odd, um, but wonderful ray of light, and uh, they have been attempting to become Twitter friends for a very long time, and Bigory gifted Muma a jersey of hers in the cutest way possible. Match ended. That's how they say at the end of Overwatch matches, right? Match ended. Yeah, I think so. I yes. mean... Was it a victory, though? That's the question. I think it was a draw. I think we both lost. Well, we can't go to extra overtime, so... Okay. Fair. But, yeah. Uh, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for letting me... I mean, I could have gone for, like, 20 minutes, but I suppose that is why you restrict your magic to a minute, because you know the same thing. Um, everyone should watch Overwatch League, even if it's just having it on the background it's it has been a delight i don't care about esports that much but it's been a lot of fun i will take a look at that or i mean or don't like it's up to you and now we're gonna head on to our final segment the final boss segment where we're gonna look at one up, uh, upcoming game news event or article that caught our interest and for this week the strong museum of play in rochester new york close to my hometown of Buffalo, New York, announced their newest inductees into the Video Game Hall of Fame. So the Video Game Hall of Fame has only been running for, I believe, four years now. And they're, you know, they're only putting in a few games at a time. These four games that were added right now were the 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th inductees. Are you familiar with these games? The games that were added this year? Yes. Honestly, some of them, but not all of them. Well, let's let's uh, let's track that. So we've got uh, Final Fantasy VII. Never heard. Of course, I know what Final Fantasy VII is. <laughs> uh, we got that Tome Raider. T Tome Raider. Tome Raider. Tombo Raider. 
Well, that that's a whole other entry. We, we'd have to. That's fair. Familiar with that. He goes into the caves and he picks up the pigs and he thro- throws them, but it's like two and a half deep. Uh, and then there's John Madden football. Heard of it? Never played it. Never, literally never, never played a Madden game ever. Not or, on purpose. I feel like at some point you've been in a store, maybe a Best Buy, and you were just looking at like an Xbox 360 kiosk, and they had Madden on there, and you played Madden that way. I feel like I was forced, maybe on accident, to like play a little bit with like a cousin that had it. But I've never intentionally, nor do I have a clear recollection of ever playing that game. All right. Okay. I've played the other... I, so far, I am I am two for three. I have played the other two. Well, I'm sure you're about to be three for four after I tell you the next one. <laughs> Go ahead. Space War! No! Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Space War is uh, arguably the first video game ever made. There you go. So, yeah. yeah. Kind of deserves a spot that checks <laughs> out. That makes sense to me. Yeah, it seems somewhat notable for uh, being that. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty cool that they uh, have this going on now, and it seems to be, like, relatively agendaless. Like, mm-hmm. there is an uh, eye towards the history of the medium, and also some very noteworthy entries. I think, like, John Madden football is a very valid thing to enter. 100%. It was, to my knowledge, like, the the first game that combined, like, 11-on-11 football mm-hmm. with, like, actual uh, real-time action. right. And I think it seeing it as a, a the nexus point or the the beginning of the association between actual branded real sports and the games associated and like having John Madden's name attached to it, I think was a really it's a it's a foundational piece kind of how we think of sports games today. Um, but it it's it got I'm sure it got people interested. It got people to pick up controllers that maybe wouldn't have picked them up before, especially at a time early, early days where, you know, video games weren't the universal kind of thing that they are now today. I, this allows me to share a useless anecdote about John Madden football. Go on. So the company that makes John Madden football, or did, Electronic Arts, they were going to put it out on the Sega Genesis, mm-hmm. except they didn't really tell Sega they were going to do that. They were just going to do it. And, you know, uh, they had figured out how to reverse engineer the ability to put games on the system. And so Sega was like, hey, uh, maybe don't do that. <laughs> and the Sega and Electronic Arts negotiated a deal where uh, EA would have to pay less in terms of licensing rights to put the game out on the Genesis. And that led to two things. First off, it led to the weird cartridges that EA always had for the Genesis were like regular Sega Genesis cartridges are, like, black and squat. And the EA ones were always taller and had, like, this yellow tab on them mm-hmm. for reasons that were not always clear to me or ever clear. And then secondly, as part of this deal, Sega asked them to come in, to EA to come in and help out on the development of a troubled game that Sega was making at the time. Mm-hmm. Joe Montana Football. So if you were to buy either Madden Football or Joe Montana Football for... Uh, that given year, I believe like 1991, they were both made by Electronic Arts. That's very funny. Do you know what I wish happened when Sega said, hey, don't make games, don't backwards compatible your games into our thing? If EA had just shrugged and said, it's in the game. <laughs> no, don't laugh, Bill. Don't <laughs> That's such a terrible joke, and I'm so happy that you had a visceral laugh to it. I'm so proud of myself. Well, speaking of useless anecdotes, one of these games is incredibly important to my history as a gamer. Space War! Space War! (laughs) The foundation of all. No, and actually, ironically, out of the list, it is probably not the one you think it is. Ooh, okay. I I figured it was Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. It is actually (laughs) Tomb Raider. But you know why it is? So I have very clear, the clearest first memory I have of playing video games is sitting in my uncle's apartment um having visited him like he was not far out of college young dude and i was like sat down in his bedroom in front of the television handed the controller and allowed to play the tutorial level only (laughs) of tomb raider as many times as i wanted 
and I played it approximately 700 times. I just would like go through, and I remember there's a little pool at the end, so you learn how to swim. So you like run through this whole tune, but at the end there's like a pool that you have to swim across. I remember all this clear as day. That, and then he also gave me Oddworld, um, and I played some of that as well, but again, mostly tutorial levels, because I was fairly young at the time. I don't remember what year Tomb Raider came out, but I was fairly young. That would have been like 96 or 97, I Yeah, believe. I was pretty young at that time, so it, it, was, it was a perfect kind of thing to give me. I, and I was just talking to someone recently that was talking about um, that they actually were playing Overwatch with one of their kids, their young kids, and they were just in the training room and just like let them do whatever they wanted in the training room. And I was like, I did that with Tomb Raider. Like, that's how I got started. That's how we became a Sony family. And then from there, it snowballed into me playing mostly platformers, mostly adventure games and platformers. And I genuinely attribute a lot of that to the fact that I started on that kind of platformery console game at such a young age. That's, I mean, you must have been in, like, five at that point I, I was i would have been five or six maybe seven depending on when i was playing i don't remember precisely but but young enough that i wasn't like playing complex games very well but i mapped to that experience like one-to-one because like that was around the time where i was like it's like here bill play mario brothers three and then like you know mm-hmm. x years later I'm playing, like, Celeste mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So yep. that, that sticks with you. The irony, though, speaking of another game in this list, is that I played um, Final Fantasy VII very early as well. And I also... Because I have a distinct memory of how fat the jewel case for the game was for PlayStation because it was so many discs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I played that really early on, and I play zero JRPGs now. I don't love that genre at all. <laughs> but let, that game, I remember I played all the way through and had, like, it was a very early game for me. And it was the first time, and I need to go back actually and revisit it now that I'm a little older. But it was the first time I had dug into a long-term narrative game. Because I had played a lot of, like, Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and I had, in theory, watched my mom play some of Myst, but didn't understand what was happening. Um, that was the first time that there was a story that I was independently playing through that I really, like, got into. Um, super formative. But I appreciate that there's games that are, like, PS1 era is a really solid area era of games. And having something like Tomb Raider and the port of Final Fantasy VII um, is... Awesome. They, I think recognizing all ends of the spectrum is, is really cool. Well, uh, so one thing that comes up with uh, Hall of Fames in general is the idea of a big hall or a small hall. There's a, the idea to recognize like all elements of history and anything that's noteworthy or really to keep it to a core of the most like elite, most memorable moments. And I think we should make the smallest hall we can right now. So oh, God. So there are 20 games currently inducted in the Video Game Hall of Fame. Okay. I can even show you the list, and we'll look at it together. Okay. And we are going to end with a Hall of Fame of two games. One for each of us. Okay. Am I allowed to use my own ridiculous biases in order to choose my game? That would be very fitting of any Hall of Fame anywhere. Fair enough. All right. uh, So as the guest, I'll just hand you my my phone here. Uh, Which I shall keep forever. Oh, I've seen that coming. Oh, Beans, this is that's this is hardly fair. Do you want me to go first? Are are we whittling down slowly? Are we choosing level? How is this going to work, Bill? I was going to say we should each remove one at a time. That sounds brilliant. I'm going to put the list down so we can more effectively do that together. Oh, man, I don't want to take any of these games off the list. If you don't, I'm going to start. No, you go first. All right. I'm going to start with Halo, Combat Evolved. (sighs) Fine. Yeah, I don't want to get rid of any. I have such fond memories of playing Halo 1 and Halo 2, but I think that's fair to take that off. I am going to take off, as important as it was, I'm going to take off Pong because I think it's rote as a trope, um, as a grandfather of games, I think... It, it didn't do it. There are other better games if we're going for the exemplary old one. I'm going to take off Grand Theft Auto 3. Oh, that one hurts. I get it, but that one hurts. I'm going to knock off Doom because I don't 
care. <laughs> I know it's really important, but no, here's fine. I I'm also I, I a proponent of a large hall of fame. And so if we are forcing me to make a small one, I'm going to be petty. <laughs> I'm going to take off Sonic the Hedgehog. Haha, suck it, Sonic. So I think I'm going to have to start killing my darling slightly because I think it's the easiest way for me to do it. I'm going to take Organ Trail off this list. Organ Trail's so good, but I don't think it's my final winner game. I gotta take Tomb Raider off. Yeah, that's fair. That's completely fair. Screw you, John Madden football. I'm going for the recent one because it feels easier. Alright, that's my pick. It gets painful eventually. World of Warcraft. Yeah. So just to uh, recap right now for folks listening, we're down to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, we're at 11. Oh god. And we've got Space War, Final Fantasy VII, Donkey Kong, The Legend of Zelda, Pac-Man, Pokemon Red and Green, The Sims, Space Invaders, Street Fighter II, Super Mario Brothers, and Tetris. Those are the 11 games in our Hall of Fame right now. I'm going to kick out Street Fighter II right now. I think I'm just going to do it. I am going to kick out Pac-Man. I feel like I'm leaving Space War on as like a tribute to my elders, but I know so little about the game <laughs> that I think I just gotta, I gotta, I gotta take it off. Okay. Donkey Kong. Yeah. Dang it. That was gotta where I go. was going next. I really want it to, st- I love this game, but I'm taking The Sims off. I'm gonna take Space Invaders off. Aw. Crap. I have to look at this list now and just see what I want to win at this point. So the last five, again for reference, are Final Fantasy VII, The Legend of Zelda, Pokemon Red and Green, Super Mario Brothers, and Tetris. Ugh. See, so if I'm picking this for the, sh- the, the Shelby perspective, I'm just going to, it's small enough as a ranking right now that I can, I can choose. I think if I'm picking from a Shelby perspective, Pokemon gets it. Because it was the game out of this list that I cared the most about and like was a part of kindling the, my love of games. If I'm being Hall of Famey, the answer is Tetris. Or Legend of Zelda. Well. Where are you thinking? See, I I think that goes against the spirit of this exercise if I say which games I like. Well, if it's the spirit of the exercise, the answer to this is Katamari Damacy is my number one <laughs> supreme game it's of all time. It's gotta be already in the Hall of Fame, though. <laughs> no. It's not up yet. Maybe it is. I guess if Halo is in there, Katamari Damacy has to be also up for election. It deserves to be up for election. Um... All right, I'm gonna cut. Uh, I'm gonna cut Final Fantasy. Ah, oh, jeez. Okay, that was gonna be my cut if you didn't cut it. So. Ha All right, this is getting tough now. I uh, know. Out. Uh, I think I gotta cut Legend of Zelda. Really? Yeah. Over Pokemon. Yeah, I think Pokemon, in terms of its connectivity with other people, yeah, is so remarkable and maybe one of the first examples of that in any game ever. That it's really noteworthy. Yeah. That's why I kept that over, like, World of Warcraft. That's fair. It's funny that it's red and green, too. I actually have an old... Somewhere in storage, I have a Japanese copy of green that my aunt got for me when um, through family connections that we had. That's neat. If you have the box, that's probably a neat, like, uh, display item. I do not. I had the... I have, like, a jewel case that it rested in. I don't actually have the original box. Uh, I wish that I did. I got it too young. I actually never played it because no one taught me <laughs> Japanese in my family. Well, we've got three games left, right? Yeah. Tetris, Super Mario Brothers, and Pokemon. Do we want to both claim one and then figure out who we're kicking off the side of the mountain? Okay. All it right. Maybe because maybe it's the same game and then we have to, like, fight over it. All right. Okay. Uh, so do you want to claim a game first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pokemon? I think I... No, yeah, I think I have to claim Pokemon. If we're being, like, biased and somewhat petty, then I have to pick Pokemon. Okay, then I would pick Tetris. I feel like your pick is more respectable than mine is. But I think we could just keep those and get rid of Super Mario Brothers and be okay. Yeah, I know, but it's not my pick. I just want to win this game. I can win, right? I don't think you're going to win. I think this is just a thought exercise. Why did I play this game? I told you to. No, that's fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. I, I actually like that as a spread, then. Of, of If Tetris and Pokemon are in our two individual Hall of Fames, which are sharing a building, I am. I think that's a good pick. Sorry, Mario. Yeah. Well, I think that is where we have to leave off on the video game Hall of Fame and also draw this episode to a close in general. 
Uh, Shelby, thank you so much for coming on, as always. Always a treat. You are welcome. I'm always happy to do it. If you want people to find you, either electronically or in person, where can they find you? I super don't want them to find me in person. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You can find me uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at Shelby underscore Fawn. Um, I am less so lately, but I am a featured storyteller on the Nerdalogs podcast, Your Stories, um, which Bill is as well. Um, And you can find my stories in their archive. Lots of good, weird, nerdy stuff in there. Uh, Lots of things about video games, for sure. Um, And, yeah, don't find me in person. (laughs) Okay. Can I find you in person? Uh, I suppose. Nice. Advantage, Nielsen. (laughs) As for us, we can be reached by email at somanybitspodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from YouTube. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits. That's uh, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays usually for Magic the Gathering Online or something similar. Thursdays for more of a variety of different games. Uh, recent stuff I've played on there is uh, Slay the Spire. I've played uh, Celeste, played uh, some Cuphead in there. Lots of stuff. And last but not least, please check out the rest of the Second Wind Collective for other quality podcasts. Or if you're not in the spirit of Dallas, you